Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, December 31st edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. We'll talk about the remaining bowl games here, the 2021 bowl set, January 1st and January 2nd. And we'll also talk about week 17 in the NFL, how to approach that, how to bet that with so much uncertainty, the playoff picture, and all those things coming into play. Over at ATS.io, lots of great stuff going on for you to check out. We still have plenty of bowl game predictions left, college basketball and NBA coverage, week 17 NFL, some of the top sportsbook promotions out there in the business. And also, too, you know, if you're betting in any of the legal states, we have a lot of how to bet articles for you on how to get started, how to sign up for a sports betting account, what to do when you get signed up, how to decide which sports book is right for you. We have a lot of that coverage over at ATS.io. And even if you don't live in a state yet with legalized sports betting, you're probably going to have that opportunity here in 2021 or in subsequent years. So make sure you know what to do when you have that opportunity. You can check out all that great content over at ATS.io. And of course, make sure you download the ATS app as well, which you can find in the Google Play Store, in the Apple Store. The premium model doing very well in there, $9.99 a week. $19.99 a month for one of those subscriptions. But even if you don't want to do that, the ATS app is a bet tracker. You've got an odd screen of the popular U.S. sports books, full article integration from the website, lots of helpful handicapping tips in terms of stats, ATS standings, a database full of all kinds of different information. Very good thing for you to have at your fingertips there. So make sure you download the ATS app from the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. And finally here, before I bring Brad on, just a thank you to everybody that has made ATS what it is here in 2020. Of course, we transitioned the podcast from Bang the Book to ATS, kept almost all of our loyal listener base, and added some listeners along the way. So we appreciate you listening to however many shows a week you listen to. We appreciate you checking out the content over at the website. And we're definitely looking forward to bigger and better things here in 2021 as i'm sure just about everybody in every line of work in every walk of life is hoping for here in the new year with that we bring on brad powers professional better and handicapper from bradpowersports.com and brad how's it going today man man it's going well how you doing on this fine uh, thursday doing very well buddy appreciate your time as always here sir and uh i guess let's go ahead and talk about what's happened to this point in the bowl season here once again still kind of the theme a lot of blowouts overall we've had some close games we've had some games that were kind of competitive for a little while but you know for the most part chalk reigning supreme a lot of high scoring games as well how's the bowl season treated you to this point it's treated me well uh, i've done about as good as as you know, my expectation was coming into it, but, uh, yeah, and it's not like I'm a, you know, a guy that wants to bet a bunch of favorites, but I I thought with a lot of, you know, things to dive through, I thought, you know, as long as the the frame of mind was there for some of these favorites, uh, I thought, you know, the the better team, uh, would really show in some of these bowl games. I think some of the lesser teams won't want the season to just be over with. And I mean, nothing that, that I've, you know, strictly, you know, I'm betting blindly, but I can tell you this, now that we're starting to get some data point sample sizes for individual conferences that are large among the power five, I mean, that that's kind of what I'm projecting, you know, moving forward for the rest of the bowl season. 
Big 12 looks really good so far in the bowl season. Uh, that, you know, American Athletic doesn't look uh, th- that well so far. So th- that's kind of what I'm looking forward to, to wrap up shop here in the final, you know, 10, 12 bowl games. Well, and that was a really important talking point that we sort of took a look at, you know, heading into the bowl season is we didn't have a lot of those non-conference data points this year. Yep. We had a lot of teams that just played strictly conference games. And we know that there are significant differences from conference to conference. And that's kind of played out here in a lot of different ways. And you know, the Mountain West having a very nice bowl season, yep. for example, where maybe that's something that kind of influenced a little bit of that line movement uh, in this Ball State San Jose State game here today that we're not going to talk about because it's a two o'clock Eastern time kickoff won't really have to show out with a lot of lead time. But that is something that's important. The deeper we get into the bowl season is just sort of looking at how these conferences has, have performed. We know the historical numbers, like the MAC is terrible in bowl games, all of that. Pac-12, bad. Yeah, Pac-12 is bad. Pac-12 is bad at, at a lot of things uh, in college <laughs> football right now. But yeah, that definitely you know fuels the fire and, and sort of contributes to some of these line movements. And something else that you and I were talking about and – We'll do a lot more discussion on this next week with only the national championship game to talk about. But, you know, you can still use these bowl games as sort of a gauge of maybe not how these teams will look in 2021, but how these teams will be perceived going into 2021. And that's something that, you know, we'll have to start thinking about and processing over the next few weeks. Couldn't have said it better. The the, the word perceive, perception, that lasting memory and image that you have uh, on a team uh the bowl game plays such a, a vital part of that into the off season for the next eight nine months and when reality is these bowl games are you know becoming more and more high variance they're becoming more and more you know unusual unlike any of the other prior eight nine ten twelve games depending on, on what year it is uh it's just almost like type, throwaway type of games so public doesn't treat it that way but, you know, a lot of instances I treat it like a throwaway game where I, I you know, I have a team like Florida loses by 35. Well, I mean, they're playing with half a team. I'm not going to significantly, you know, downgrade my Florida power rating at the end of the year, three, four points, just because of what happened in the bowl game, even though the market might want to do that. So, yeah, I that's the good thing. I mean, we're always talking about, oh. You know, I can't stand this about the market or, or the industry. The one thing I do appreciate still to this day is people overreacting to bowl games. I think it creates value uh, as far as, you know, season win totals for the upcoming year. And I think when you look at the other side of that game, a team like Oklahoma, okay, fine. They played half of a Florida offense, maybe, you know, 40% of a Florida offense. They did what they were supposed to do, which good for them because their postseason resume is not particularly strong. This has been building for like four, five, six weeks with Oklahoma anyway, where their defense in the second half of the year looked really, really good. So this was a play on spot for the Sooners, even with everybody that Florida was missing. And of course that line, you know, swung violently on the day of the game. That was one that we talked about where both of us liked Oklahoma. Anybody that got in on that game had plus three, plus two and a half, had a bunch of closing line value in that one. But that was a spot where, this was the play on situation for Oklahoma going into next season. They're probably going to be overpriced in a games of the year market, in a win total market, in a big 12 champion market, they're going to be overpriced now. So if you think you're going to find value with the Sooners going into 2021, you're probably not because this game was what they'd been building up towards with their strong defensive play and Rattler taking better care of the football and all of that. So 
you know, beware of the bull bounce where you may think, oh, that's a great sign for going forward. It is, but the problem is it takes a lot of the line value, the futures value out of the equation. You sort of want to look more, I think down the board, it teams more like a Nevada where Nevada played really well this year. Carson Strong looked very good at multiple points throughout the season. That's an impressive win over Tulane that I think won't get the right kind of press going into next season to the point where I think Nevada could be a really good team. I think those are the things you kind of want to look for, not the high-profile ones. Absolutely. Uh, Again, uh, I I concur with those thoughts. And, you know, I wanted to bet Oklahoma. I mean, I just – I see the the program – you and I talked a little bit before – we got on here. I mean, they, they have fixed the defense, which was an issue the last four or five years. I mean, now we're talking that defense is, you know, what they were probably early Bob Stoop era, just Bob Stoops era. So uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say Oklahoma was overpriced, meaning I want to fade them because, but, but I, I know fully well, I'm, they're not going to be cheap. If I want to bet them in a futures market or, or, or whatnot, that, 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 that has been, completely taken away after what they did the other night. And I agree, like most instances, uh, the group of five is going to get overlooked, even though it probably necessarily shouldn't. Uh, you're right, Nevada, and the fact that they kept Norvell and a lot of stability having the quarterback back, that, that that's a team that really finished strong and really played uh, you know, consistently well all year. That, that, that's a program that I would be looking to, to buy in 2021. Like I said, we'll talk more about this stuff next week. And in subsequent weeks, we should have Brad through the Super Bowl, I would think, especially so we could talk NFL playoffs and, you know, the Super Bowl prop markets and all of that. So should have him through the Super Bowl. We'll be able to talk more about isolating some of these college football teams because we talk about this year in and year out. And again, we can save this deep dive discussion for down the line. But the timeline for college football has been accelerated every year for several years in a row with futures posted earlier than ever before games of the year posted earlier than ever before. So that's something that, you know, you'll have to pay attention to if you want to set yourself up for success here in the 2021 college football season. But as far as what's still in front of us here for the bowl games, Brad, the only thing we can kind of talk about here again with the turnaround time for the show is the Liberty bowl between West Virginia and army. Some news breaking today that army down a bunch of guys that lines up to nine and a half or 10 now in the marketplace. And this is just kind of the thing, you know, a lot of game day news coming out here in the bowl season and now it's impacting the Liberty bowl. Yeah. And you know, maybe a little surprising because army hasn't really had COVID issues all year. I mean, they played 11 games and haven't really been dealing with that. So it, it is a surprise for me that it is army, but uh, regardless, I, I was looking to bet West Virginia as it was. I just think Army's a little overrated due to the fact they played an extremely weak schedule. Three FCS teams, and I'm not talking about three good FCS teams. I'm talking about three well below average FCS teams that they kind of feasted on as far as to, uh, you know propping up their season-long stats. And you look at Army, the two best teams they played was you know a pair of AAC teams, Cincinnati and Tulane, and lost both games by at least 14 points. So I, I was on the West Virginia side of things early on in the process and obviously West uh, Army now without looks like their top running back starting left tackle a couple linebackers and a few other depth guys I, I could you know uh, West Virginia's a side in my opinion and something else too that I think about this game is that you know and I mentioned this note on Monday with Kyle Hunter that Army's played three straight option teams so you know I mean defensively they see the option every day in practice 
Yeah, I, I think defensively, this is a team that could get picked apart a little bit here, not because West Virginia is a great offense or anything like that, but just because it's something different from what they've seen. And they haven't really faced a whole lot of teams that have really any semblance of a passing attack throughout most of the season. So West Virginia, you know, again, not a lot of line equity in that one with that line going up because of the players missing for Army. Now you're in a situation where it's very hard to take West Virginia minus nine and a half or 10 with a low total and with the type, the style of play that Army has. West Virginia has to be really efficient with their possessions. Again, for those that are listening right after we post the show, live betting opportunity. If West Virginia is stopping the run and they're moving the ball, this could be a blowout. This could be blowout central here. So maybe a live betting opportunity. Other than that, not a whole lot more to say about that one. So let's go to the first game here of the new year. That is the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl between Georgia and Cincinnati. Bunch of guys sitting out on the defensive side for Georgia here in this one, but that's really been kind of a theme for them throughout the course of the season. Anyway, still a touchdown favorite, and the total hasn't really moved a whole lot. 50 and a half or 51 here in Atlanta. Yeah, I think I'm kind of on an island. Uh, I've actually liked Georgia in this one. I mean, they're used to opt-outs. I mean, that's happened to them last several bowl games for Georgia. And I know a lot of people question their motivation. It's not like Georgia just lost the SEC championship game and we're thinking playoffs uh, until the, the, their last game. And now they got to play little old Cincinnati. I mean, Georgia last month of the season knew that they weren't going to the playoffs, knew uh, th- that their national title hopes were dashed when they lost to Florida. Uh, they're they're at the end of no, uh, October, early November. So uh, I, I think, to me, the value is with JT Daniels, now a quarterback, offense is completely different. You basically went from a walk-on to a five-star. That's significant. We've seen that kind of, you know, the play out as far as the results. Cincinnati is going to be motivated, and they're going to play, uh, you know, an A game. I just think even with opt-outs, Georgia's got a top-five roster in the country, and uh, seven to me seems a little cheap, especially Georgia, very familiar playing, you know, right close to home there. Uh, I do lean with the Bulldogs here. Now, to play devil's advocate here in this one, JT Daniels is, you know, really, we'll, we'll call it three data points here, you know, as the starter. I know that it was, you know, sort of one of those things where he got some time at USC, but, you know, obviously a much different situation here with Georgia. Mississippi State, who he shredded, and the Bulldogs have a pretty decent defense. But then South Carolina and Missouri. Missouri really fell apart late in the year. We talked about them last week in terms of the fact that you know they had offensive dudes playing in the secondary and and they were just ravaged by injuries and COVID. And South Carolina was you know a very bad team this year. So what about that? What about people that kind of poke holes in the numbers for JT Daniels and what Georgia's done simply because of the teams that they've faced? Yeah, and you can make a case they really leaned on the ground game the last couple of games instead of, you know, JT Daniels throwing the football. I To me, it's kind of eye test. Uh, I mean, just he, he's capable, if he needs to, to make some throws at Seth and Bennett just, uh, you know, wasn't capable and, and weren't there. I, to me, uh, I, I agree. Well, you could poke a hole in any handicap uh, for the most part. I mean, I, if you can't poke a hole in a handicap, then, then you're missing something. I mean, there's just, especially at the end of the season, when you when you got some data points. To, it's honest, believe it or not, it's kind of a play against Cincinnati also for me. And the reason being, I don't think the Americans that good. Uh, I mean, I've seen enough now that we're in the bowl season where, I mean, Houston laid an egg against Hawaii, Tulane, 
uh, was taken care of quite easily against Nevada. UCF got their doors blown off against BYU. The one team that won and covered Memphis, I bet them. I liked Memphis a lot. I got to tell you, I wasn't that impressed. I mean, FAU had two chances basically inside the 10-yard line late to, to, to basically push that game and just couldn't get it done. So I think the, the, the conference for the American has left a lot to be desired so far. So if that's the case, then Cincinnati is putting up a lot of stats and a lot of good numbers against overrated competition. I think that's an excellent point. That's something you do have to consider in a handicap like this is, okay, fine. Cincinnati outgained the opposition by almost two and a half yards per play this season. That's awesome. That's great. Good for them. The SEC is not the AAC. I mean, you know, does anybody really expect, and this could happen. Don't get me wrong. It's possible. Does anybody really expect Cincinnati to run for 5.7 yards per carry on Georgia, which would match, you know, their season average, a Georgia defense that's allowed 69 rushing yards per game. And again, Georgia has the opt-outs. I get it, but this, this almost feels like a completely different game. If Georgia shows up two very different teams from a talent standpoint, as well as Luke fickle has recruited there in Cincinnati, it's not the level of recruiting in Athens. So I, this is one where I could see people making a case for both sides. I just prefer the Georgia side like you do. Yeah. And you can laugh at this, but I, I think Georgia's going to be a little motivated again, playing in Atlanta, close to home. And you can laugh again that they're breaking out the black uniforms, which is a big deal for Georgia and uniforms are a big deal for these kids. So uh, again, I don't expect Georgia to be that flat. And sometimes I just think the market gets a little too cute. And I'll use a Georgia bowl game from last year where that number, everyone bet down, uh, you know, bet Baylor and that number got down to like four, four and a half because of Georgia opt-outs. And the reality is they still got four and five-star guys to replace the guys that opted out. And I'll say this, they got a lot less opt-outs than what they did a year ago. Yeah. So, you know, three guys just opted out uh, a few days ago, but it's nothing like what they had last year as far as the attrition. In fact, I think a lot of people in the program are happy that they haven't had more opt-outs as far as this game. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that's the right side to go with that handicap there. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with the line for this game where, you know, it hasn't really moved a whole lot either no. way. And uh, maybe with the opt-outs and the fact that the line didn't move, maybe that tells us something sort of reading the tea leaves there of that game. Uh, probably a, a much less exciting game, a much, more, <laughs> much less interesting game. Auburn and Northwestern here in the Citrus Bowl down in Orlando, Florida, Northwestern three and a half point favorite total 43 and a half here. And I'm a little bit surprised. We haven't seen some Auburn interest, but with the weird situations regarding the head coaching and, you know, Malzahn being gone, Harson already being hired. I just wonder if that's kind of keeping people off of the Auburn side. I think absolutely it is. Cause from a pure power ratings aspect, are you kidding me? I mean, I, I can't lay more than a field goal with Northwestern against a, a really good Auburn roster. So that, to me, that that's the hang up. I think in a perfect world, if I had, you know, this game pure power rated right around Pickham, I mean, I would I would have a really big bet on Auburn. But because of the coaching situation, and also keep in mind, Auburn lost their play callers on offense, whether it's Malzahn or Morris. Neither one's going to be there, so uh, that's a major issue. I lean Auburn, but actually, I prefer the under. I don't see Northwestern having success against this Auburn defense. And, you know, Auburn's got some issues to some key guys. Schwartz looks like he's out at wide receiver. 
Bigsby, the outstanding freshman running backs, a little bit banged up. I'm not sure Auburn has much success offensively against a really good Northwestern defense. So uh, under 43 and a half would be my preference now. And as we're talking, it looks like uh, <laughs> it looks like Northwestern's taking some money. The, the market's going to four. That's definitely an interesting development there. I, I don't know if that's maybe more of, of some Auburn players opting out or just, you know, continued questions about that coaching situation. And, you know, I agree with you. I think the under is, while it's a low under, a very low yeah. under for a bowl game. I mean, I think that that's got to be it. I, I think the only thing that could potentially push this game over the total is if Bo Nix has some pick sixes or yep. some keep in his own territory, you know, turnovers, something like that. I don't trust the guy at all. I don't trust him as far as I could throw him. And I don't trust this Auburn offense where Nick's already isn't very good to be recruited for this scheme and everything that Auburn does. And now they're missing the guys that, you know, make the determinations on the offensive side. And I don't see how Northwestern really puts up a lot of points. I mean, I haven't been impressed with their offense really at any juncture over the course of the season here. So very low total for a bowl game, but you know, and I don't even know if this is just like, max effort from both teams. I think it's just easy to fade both offenses. Yeah. And again, when I say, you know, what I'm, it's not a big bet, whether it's side or total here, it's, you know, I think there's much other games that, that intriguing, intrigue me more as far as betting and value. I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I have issues betting under totals, you know, in the mid to lower forties anymore in college football. Yeah, no, I agree. Is this a ham sandwich? I think pork eating pork on New Year's Day is supposed to be good luck or some shit. Is that what it is? I uh, yeah, I it's it's that. you know it's it's a, as far as the, it's a ham sandwich, definitely on the Auburn. I'm talking deli ham sandwiches. Uh, as far as the under, it's you know more high quality ham. Uh, <laughs> so more honey baked ham. Honey baked ham. There we go. So honey baked ham on the under, deli ham uh, on Auburn there. <laughs> In that one. All right, let's talk about the Rose Bowl, which is the Rose Bowl really in name only here because it's going to be in Arlington, Texas this year between Notre Dame and Alabama. Alabama still 19 and a half, total 65 and a half for the most part. We've seen very little movement really on this game or the semifinal game, at least from a spread or the other semifinal game, at least from a spread standpoint. So Notre Dame and Alabama here. What are your thoughts, Brad? Not a big bet for me. I'll probably get a little cute as far as the derivative market in the game, but I mean, I'm going to lean Alabama on the side. I, I've seen enough of Notre Dame on the big stage the last 20 years to know. I mean, forget winning games. Notre Dame hasn't even you know come within seven points of a point spread in a major game in the BCS and playoff era. So I, I would lean Alabama. I just I don't think Notre Dame can be. I, it's a relatively high total. I think Alabama will have, you know, some success. I mean, if you're just going, looking at the point spread and the total, you know, projected score right around 42, 23 ish. I mean, okay. 42 for Alabama sounds about right, but 23 for a Notre Dame offense that can't really take advantage of Alabama's weaknesses in the past game, like, you know, Ole Miss and Florida did. I mean, team total under 23 sounds good to me. Uh, do I really want to, you know, even though I lean Alabama full game, do I really want to lay one of the highest point spreads? Forget the playoffs. It's the third highest point spread in the history of bowl games. I'm not sure that I really want to do that full game. So, I mean, Alabama first half has been good for three years now. I, I think it, the, the, the run is 29 and 10 the last three years. If you just blindly bet Alabama in the first half. So I'll probably do, you know, a little bit uh, 
a piece of that Alabama minus 11 first half. Yeah, I like Alabama first half too. That's definitely something that I've kind of keyed in on here. And, you know, I think laying the full game is a little bit questionable because I don't know if Alabama jumps out to that big lead. You know, what they do in the second half could be a very, very vanilla second half for them. They sit on it. That's what Saban does. doesn't matter what style offense he has. He sits on it. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I wouldn't blame him for that, you know, because you know that you're probably getting Clemson. You could be getting Ohio State, but you're probably getting Clemson again. And, you know, I mean, you certainly want to be at full strength as much as possible, uh, you know, for another version of that game. The thing for Notre Dame here is I know the defense has been pretty good over the course of the season. It's actually been quite good, but Clemson moved it on in both games. North Carolina is the only really impressive data point that Notre Dame has, and Alabama throws the ball with such proficiency that you know you sort of wonder about Notre Dame's ability to slow them down. The, the thing about this one to me is, you know, how much does the difference in you know really the competition that Notre Dame has played to this point factor in early in this game? And, and that's why I think we're both looking at the first half here. Is you know okay, fine. They played Clemson twice. They beat them once. You know, they struggled, obviously, in that second game with Trevor Lawrence back. Had that great performance against North Carolina, but that was really second-half adjustments where Notre Dame played extremely well against the Tar Heels. Do they just get so far behind in the first half of this game? I think that's a possibility, and, and I agree with you. I think Alabama first half makes some sense. And if Alabama does have success running the football in the second half, I think your team total will be looking pretty good, too. Yeah, Uh Again, to me, this is all about first 20 minutes of the game. I mean, uh, just Notre Dame's got to survive the, the initial, you know, a- a- Alabama surge that we've seen now, you know, all season pretty much for Alabama. I mean, they're just so talented on the offense side of the ball, and there's really no weaknesses that it's almost a shock to your system. And uh, obviously Notre Dame didn't ha- handle a, a fully healthy Clemson team that well, and you know, obviously Alabama's on that level, if not even a little bit better than Clemson. I, I just, I, I can't paint a scenario here other than Alabama, you know, Mac Jones throwing three, four interceptions, as many as he's thrown all year, where, where Notre Dame keeps this game close. Well, keep in mind too, I mean, Notre Dame was a 91-yard touchdown drive in regulation away from losing the first game to Clemson. So, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens here in this one. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. This might be a game that a lot of people kind of turn off uh, by halftime. Although then again, I mean, what the hell else are you going to do? Here? Yeah, there ain't nothing. It's not like old school New Year's Day where, okay, the Rose Bowl is not good. Let's turn on the Fiesta Bowl. I, I kind of long for those old school you know, New Year's Day. I know you definitely do. You're certainly an old soul there. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Brad Powers. All right. So the other semifinal game here, the Sugar Bowl, Ohio State and Clemson. And we did see a little bit of Ohio State interest yesterday with the announcement that Clemson offensive coordinator Tony Elliott has COVID, will not be able to coach here on the Clemson Tigers in this bowl game. So we saw, you know, the seven and a halves kind of start to go away. We're seeing seven minus 15 now on the Clemson side, total 66 and a half. What are you thinking about this one? Surprised. I know it's right around a very key number. I'm just surprised that it didn't, you know, that there's still seven and a halves, you know, out there and, and a, at a lot of shops. I, to me, you lose your play caller. And it's not like you had three weeks to make the adjustments. You, you lost him three days before the game. So, and, and he's a pretty good, he's, I'm not going to say he's elite. I think he's got elite talent. It helps when you, when you have Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence at quarterback the last several years, but uh, he's one of the better offensive coordinators in the game. And, 
I I can tell you, I bet Ohio State plus seven and a half when that news was breaking. And it's not only that for me, it's, uh, you know, I, I just like the overall vibe. Uh, the, the Ohio State for the first time in, in what seems like, you know, four or five years can really play the disrespect card. Probably the first time uh, since they won the national championship back in 2014 when they were significant underdogs in not only the semifinal against Bama, but also the national title game. I'm not saying that they're going to win and win easily here, but uh, I think they're perfectly capable if you shop around and, and get uh, the hook and cover a point spread in this one. They're not as good as last year's uh, team, clearly Ohio State, but uh, again, I, I expect them to play their best absolute game of the season. If that's the case, I think they can stay within seven and a half of the Tigers. And You know, look, I'm an Ohio State fan. I've said this before on the show a million times over. I, I stay as impartial. I, I stay impartial with my handicaps of Ohio State games. I'm not just going to bet a team because I like them. Here's the thing. When you think back to last year's Fiesta Bowl, Ohio State marches on the first drive, gets stopped inside the five, kicks one of those cheap short field goals that I absolutely hate. I hate any field goal under 25 yards because it's a lost opportunity. You left yep. four points on the field. They had two of those early in that game. One early in the first quarter, one early in the second quarter, also had a 33-yarder and had the Dobbins 68-yard house call. Ohio State should have been winning that game maybe 28 nothing, at least 24 nothing, but they left points out there. They were up 16 nothing. I believe that drive that Clemson scored on was the one with the Sean Wade targeting call on that obviously completely yep. changed the game. So when Dabo's sitting there poking holes in Ohio state saying a team that's played six games, shouldn't be in the playoff. I voted them 11th in the coaches poll to me. Dabo wants no part of having to face Ohio state again, because Ohio state was very well prepared last year. Could have put that game away pretty early left points on the field Things kind of happened, probably should have won with that fumble that wasn't, so on and so forth. But I don't think Dabo wants to match up against the Buckeyes again here. And that sort of in and of itself points me towards Ohio State getting seven or seven and a half here, simply because I think Dabo, who is a smart football mind, realizes that the difference between these two teams is not all that big. As long as Fields doesn't play as badly as he did in the Northwestern game, I think Ohio State can cover this number. Whether or not they win, I don't know. But getting a seven, seven and a half point head start, I think Davo's telling you everything you need to know that these two teams are pretty closely matched, I think. Yeah, that's the hang up for me is, you know, Justin Fields having a little bit of a thumb issue. And it's not like it was a month ago. I mean, they just played the, the, the Big Ten championship game 12 days ago. So that would be a, an issue for me. But I think the key for me is, you know, lean on what Notre Dame did to Clemson in the first game, control line of scrimmage. I think it's definitely possible that Ohio State can do that. You know, if there's one weakness on Clemson's program, I don't think they're a lead at the offensive line. That's been the way for, for them for probably the last four or five years. They're very good, but it's not at the caliber like say in Alabama year in and year out on the offensive line. And obviously Ohio state's found their ground game the last three games, particularly Trey Sermon in the big 10 championship. That's what I, I would do is, you know, one thing you can't, you can't, you're not going to stop Trevor Lawrence. You're just not, but what you can do and what teams have done is you slow down Travis Etienne. I mean, not just Notre Dame, but uh, several teams have been able to do that. And I think if Ohio state can control the line of scrimmage, which is certainly plausible again, I think seven and a half is too much here. 
Yeah, and, and that is a, a big worry about Ohio State. I mean, this secondary has not been good. I mean, they, they have been very bad here over the course of the season. Yep. And, and the Big Ten has been terrible. You know, we talk about sort of evaluating these teams based on how the conferences have done so far. It's not like the Big Ten's been awful in bowl games. And, I mean, they don't have a whole lot of data points anyway. But, you know, it's one of those things where the Big Ten has been a bad conference this year, a very bad conference on both sides of it for the most part. So I also understand that. I understand being concerned about Ohio State based on how they looked in some of their conference games and based specifically on how the defense looked in some of their conference games. So does does that mean that, you know, even though this is a very high total and even though last year's game only had 52 points, I mean, are, are we looking at it over here? No, I'm not. I'm actually looking towards the under. I just, I think the total, both games, I think are a little too high. I, I just, uh, I... It's I can't make a strong case. Oh, statistically speaking, I mean, my pure numbers had at 63 and a half is what I feel the total should be in this game. Again, I think Ohio State tries to run the football uh, uh, against Clemson. I think that's the the, the secret to their success is keeping Trevor Lawrence off the field. So uh, I, I know Ohio State moved the football up and down the field last year. Uh, but, but to me, you know, the, the 52 in that one, I mean, you, you still got to score a couple extra touchdowns to get to this level. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not there at 65 and a half. I just think it's a little too high. Yeah. Well, I think the sermon thing is an important point to make because this is not the kind of game Ohio state wants to go into with master Teague. I mean, nothing against master no. Teague, but that that's not a running back you want against Clemson. He's just not. And the fact that they've found sermon and been using sermon more, I think you can use Teague. I think Teague is better at the blitz pickup than Sermon is by a, a pretty decent margin, I would say. But that's something where, you know, I think that benefits Ohio State to the point where if Teague was still the guy, I don't know if I would entertain Ohio State plus seven and a half. I, I think it's that significant of a difference for the Buckeyes. And, you know, of course, we'll see if Ryan Day has, you know, a, a better first half in terms of play calling uh, than what we saw in that game against Northwestern. So, we got four bowl games to talk about here on January 2nd. I don't know if you have too strong of opinions on these, but we'll roll through them in rotation number order here. Beginning with the Gator Bowl, NC State and Kentucky. Kentucky, two-and-a-half-point favorite. 49 is the low point now on the total, which has been going down after opening more like 53-and-a-half. I lean towards NC State here. Uh, they've just been the more consistent team. I know it, it's tough. You know, SEC is a better conference. I mean, we'll see. Uh, I mean, traditionally, yeah, the SEC has been better, but, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of the ACC and that they're getting better, you know, across the board in that conference. It's just better coaching and doing a better job recruiting. And I'm not sure you talk about teams, you know, not wanting to be there. I'm not sure that's necessarily the case with Kentucky. I'm just not sure that they were thinking they were going to be in a bowl game when they wrapped up their season at the end of November. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking when they fired their offensive coordinator, I think they were starting to prep for 2021. Not, not sure at four and six, they were thinking they were going to be in a bowl game. NC state from everything I've read so far indicates that they're excited to be playing in a bowl game. I think that they're very well balanced offensively. They had a couple of running backs at top 600 yards. They got four wide receivers at top 400 yards. So, uh, a little bit depth there. And, um, I just like what I see more out of NC state this year than I, what, what I have out of Kentucky. The, the one thing that would be a holdup for me here, and, and ironically enough, you know, we talked about Wake Forest and, and their turnover margin, and, and that turned on an absolute dime uh, in the Dukes-Mayo, but really turned on a dime in the last game they played in the regular season. Then the Mayo Bowl, uh, you know, Sam Hartman just not taking care of the football there. 
that's the one rub I have here in this game is that Kentucky was plus seven in turnover margin. NC State was minus three. Kentucky plays this risk-averse offense with Wilson as much as they possibly can. They run the football. They try to give him the easiest throws imaginable. This is one where I think turnover margin could absolutely dictate what happens in this game. If NC State takes care of the football, maybe even wins the turnover battle, they win this game. If they don't, that opens the door for Kentucky and a Kentucky team that you know obviously wants to run the ball, take the air out of it, all of that. So to me, I think it's a pretty high variance handicap in terms of not knowing which way turnover margin falls. But you know that is something about NC State really over the last several years. Their quarterback play, I mean, Ryan Finley was, was pretty damn good. Their quarterback play, it's not like it's been world-class or anything like that, but Dave Doran finds skill position guys, man. I mean, they had, what, 2,000-yard receivers a couple years ago? Yeah. I mean, they just find dudes at the skill positions that make plays, and it, you know, maybe it's something that shows up here in the bowl game. Yeah, he consistent, and they made a change at offense corner this year, and really, you know, from the outset in the game against Wake Forest, you know, very well balanced. Uh, they, they scheme things up pretty well on that side of the ball. Uh, I will say this, Kentucky, from what I'm reading, Wilson's going to start, but reading the tea leaves, I think Bo Allen and Joey Gatewood are going to see some action in this one. So, I mean, I don't know how effective, if you're going to play two or three quarterbacks, you, you can be offensively. Yeah, I always hate that. I mean, you know, guys can't get into a rhythm. It makes things really challenging to handicap the game, too. So, yep. uh, you know, we'll see what happens there in that one. Ole Miss and Indiana. Indiana up to eight and a half or as high as nine out there in the global markets. Now, Ole Miss is just ravaged by opt-outs, injuries. Seems like maybe they have some COVID issues going on as well. I think I even read somewhere. I'm not sure if Lane Kiffin said it or if, you know, one of the reporters said it, but Ole Miss is like teetering on the point of even having enough players to play in this game, but they still want to go out there and try to do it in the Outback Bowl down in Tampa. What do you think? I mean, is this a game that you can even consider pre-flop? I lean Indiana, but I'm not wild about laying more than a touchdown with Indiana with a backup quarterback, but that's the only way I could look in this one just for, with Ole Miss, you know, struggling with numbers. I mean, uh, uh, Kiffin said they're really struggling with, with numbers and a lot of key guys too. I mean, it's just not like, you know, depth guys. We're talking some of their best players outside their quarterback, Matt Corral. Uh, I just too many question marks for them to get involved. Obviously, Indiana has been remarkably consistent. They've covered every single game so far this year. I think they'll be motivated to be here, lean Indiana, but, uh, that's more of a ham sandwich type of bet. And I'm not talking the honey baked uh, ham variety. I liked Ole Miss early on in the process. I think we I even did too. I bet him. Yeah. I, we even talked about it on a couple of shows here that, you know, we liked Ole Miss and, and this is, this is the problem. And, and this isn't even just exclusive to COVID. I mean, COVID's having an impact on these bowl games, but you know, these opt outs, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, that it's an epidemic in college football because I certainly respect and and appreciate these guys' decisions to want to go and get paid and, you know, not get hurt in these bowl games. But this is something that we may have to consider even more as we go forward here. As this just continues to become more and more of the norm, you want to try to go out there and get some line value and grab some prices on these games when they open up. But, man, these bets wind up looking significantly different by game day. They do. I mean, you can – 
try to, you know, I, I try to project it, you know, what team's going to be excited to be there or whatnot, and then kind of project, you know, who's going to opt out. Obviously, I think I, I did a good job with that in the Oklahoma game where I expected Florida to be kind of a downer for them after what happened their last two games of the season where I thought Oklahoma would be excited to be there. But but I, I, I missed. I, I didn't expect North Carolina this, you know, in one of the biggest bowl games in the history of their uh, school. I didn't expect four of their top players to opt out, so I missed on that one. And I knew Ole Miss hit. They had already had a couple opt-outs prior to the LSU game. I just didn't expect the, their numbers to continue to, to get worse. And, yeah, it's uh, something that – it's not going away. It's only going to get worse. I mean, I just I, – I, I don't know. If these big – I mean, for a team like Ole Miss, none of these players have played in a bowl game. I mean, they've been remarkably – I mean, average to below average the last few years. And to, to not be able to get excited whatsoever – uh, you know, Lane Kiffin said it best. Uh, he's got to recruit his own players right now. The, the guys that are already on the team, he's got to recruit them to want to play even in a bowl game. All right, so let's go to the Fiesta Bowl here out in Glendale, Arizona at State Farm Stadium. Oregon and Iowa State. Iowa State, we've even seen some three and a half, some rogue three and a half start showing up in the global market for pretty much the predominant number, 57 and a half or 58 the total here for this one. I got to say, Brad, I'm a little bit surprised based on Oklahoma's performance, based yep. on what kind of seen from the Pac-12 already, I'm surprised this line hasn't gone off. Stunned. I just, you look for context clues. The Big 12 is now 3-0. and And I wasn't overly impressed with Oklahoma State, but they, they got the job done, punched Miami in the mouth early on in that game, then held on. Um, you know, Texas basically with their second unit, just absolutely humiliated Colorado. Colorado's the only other Pac-12 team to play so far. But I just think, generally speaking, that I mean, I'm out here. The Pac-12 is not fully committed like other conferences across this country to, to winning football consistently. So uh, Iowa State, to me, has got an opportunity to close and finish one of their best seasons ever by winning a major bowl game. I mean, how many times is Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl? So I think they're relatively excited to be here. They're disappointed they lost to Oklahoma, but I got to tell you, I thought they outplayed Oklahoma. I mean, it was turnovers. Brock Purdy having three interceptions in that game. Otherwise, they beat a really, really good Oklahoma team for the second time this season in that Big 12 championship game. I just Oregon's inconsistent. Uh, They're young. Iowa State's got the better quarterback. I'd rather have Matt Campbell than Mario Cristobal. I mean, Cristobal's a good recruiter, but X is an OZ. He leaves a lot to be desired. I, Iowa State's one of my favorite plays remaining in the bowl season. Uh, I'm waiting. Uh, I, I, I bet a little bit at minus four, but I, I'm also seeing indicators that the line might continue to go down. I can't believe it. I, I can't believe it either. I mean, I, I liked Iowa State from the jump. And again, you know, I've been a little bit hesitant, a little bit risk averse here in terms of jumping into the market. Just because, again, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with COVID and all these other things. I have this line at Iowa State minus six, and I think that's where the line should be. I mean, yep, that's what I have at six. And, and, you know, I look at Iowa State and, okay, fine. They're they're playing a Pac 12 team that went four and two, they're playing an Oregon team that, you know, used to be right there in the national spotlight. And now it's a little bit of a struggle for them to do that. But for Iowa State, when do you get an opportunity like this to play you know, what is effectively a top 30 team in the country in a bowl game and also have the chance to be the favorite in that bowl game? I mean, to me, Iowa State should be fully invested 
in this game. I mean, you know, you've got a quarterback in Brock Purdy who, you know, will be back next year. Brees Hall's not draft eligible yet. So, you know, he doesn't have his mindset on anything else. Matt Campbell's a great head coach. And also, too, something else we haven't even talked about yet is that in the early bowl games this year, maybe you had a week between games, something like that. It was easy to keep everybody engaged and focused because it was, hey, give me one more good week of practice, then we'll go play again. Now you've got to have two, two and a half weeks of practice before you go play a game. Keeping the players invested and engaged and motivated a lot harder for these January 2nd bowl games than it was on December 23rd or December 22nd, something like that. While Cristobal is a good recruiter, and I think that, you know, you get that from being charismatic and, and being able to relate to the players. I think Campbell can keep his guys far more invested in practice. They should look like the better team here. I don't know why this line hasn't gone up. I have no idea. Yeah, and obviously, Crystal Ball, I mean, if you're looking at opt-outs, I mean, who had more opt-outs than Oregon as, as far as NFL guys this year? I mean, some of it's the Pac-12s, you know, the decision-making of we're not playing, we're playing and whatnot. But, I mean, they had significant contributors opt-out uh, this season pretty much more than anybody else in the country. So, yeah, I that that's certainly a concern. And I'm just looking. I mean, they've only played six games. What is the one performance this season where you're like, hey, Oregon, th- that performance right there, I'm super impressed with the Ducks this year. There's not a damn single game on the season where I was impressed. And that includes the – I know they upset USC in the Pac-12 title game. I think that was more – SC just is horrifically coached. And, and, I mean, Oregon was outgained by more than 100 yards in that one. So, I just – I don't have a single data point here where I'm like, wow, Oregon, that, that was a really good performance. I probably got three or four with Iowa State this year. Yeah, I mean, the first game against Stanford looks great on paper because they covered a double-digit number, but Davis Stanford Mills missed four, got, Yeah, missed four field goals in the game. Right. Yeah, Stan, oh, that's right, the four field goals. Davis Mills had a false positive, like, the day yep. before the game or two days before the game or whatever. They hung 43 on Washington State, but I watched all of that game, and it was not the greatest of performances. Uh, often no, they got to score right before the half. Otherwise, the, the, if they don't get that play right before the half to go in and get momentum right before halftime, they might have lost that game to Washington State. Yep. UCLA, backup quarterback, they got outgained in that one from what I remember. Should have lost. They, lose they scored the a touchdown on the last play of the, uh, of the first half uh, on an interception return, long interception return. That's right. Yeah, you're right. And then, you know, they, they blow the lead, lose the Civil War. Yep. Outgame Cal bad, but they had, what, turnover issues in that game. Still lost the game. Still lost, yeah. And then the USC game, they were badly outgamed. I, I agree, man. I and, and it always scares you. You know, it always scares you when you're looking at a game and you can't understand why something's not happening, especially when you're so adamant about it. But, you know, it, it's like... It's like somebody very smart once told me, if you're not going to trust yourself and not going to trust your numbers, then who the hell will? I, I think we have to trust. Yeah, why are you betting? Right. I mean, you got to have some ego because anytime you make a bet, you're saying the world, the market is wrong on this game. I'm right. Everybody else is wrong. Anytime. And, and I'm willing to lay 110 to do so. That, that, I mean, anytime you make a bet, that's what you're saying. So sometimes, I mean, you know. Uh, pony up man uh, man up make a bet I, I i know i am on iowa state here if i'm wrong i'm wrong i agree i think it's the way that we just have to approach it you know i mean if, if we're that committed to the position and something weird happens or something bad happens or whatever it happens like, like you always say it's why it's called gambling and why it's not called winning so you know hopefully uh, iowa state does come through for us here in that one last bowl game until i guess the national championships kind of considered a bowl game i, I don't know 
but the Orange Bowl here between North Carolina and Texas A&M, and you could have gotten this one under seven for a very short window of time. Now it's seven with juice or seven and a half with Texas A&M favored. Total down to 65 and a half here. Orange Bowl, of course, down in Miami, Florida. What do you think about this one, Brad? Yeah, I got it under uh, seven. I bet, I think, six and a half. I bet North Carolina like an idiot. Uh, I really like North Carolina in this game. But now, I mean, if I were stack rank, the, the five most important North Carolina players to a point spread, obviously Sam Howell, the quarter outstanding quarterback's number one. But the next four guys from North Carolina all opted out. A pair of the 1,000-yard rushers, their leading receiver, by far their best player on the defensive side of the ball, their linebacker, Chaz Surratt. I mean, they're all out, and uh, this isn't Clemson. It's not Georgia or Ohio State or Alabama where North Carolina is just going to roll in another four- or five-star recruit. They're not there yet, uh, not even close to it depth-wise in, in year two under Mac Brown. Uh, and I think, you know, when you look at the, the way the teams uh, are built style-wise, especially A&M defensively, keep in mind Mike Elko was the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. The Notre Dame defensive coordinator that took over from Mike Elko, Clark Lee, had coached with Mike Elko at several different spots. The defenses are very similar between A&M and Notre Dame, and we saw Notre Dame shut down a completely healthy uh, and full roster North Carolina offense. So I think A&M is capable of doing that. That's one reason why I like the under as well. And I just think A&M is going to line it up and run right at North Carolina's defense. And there's nothing North Carolina is going to be able to do about it, similar to what Notre Dame did. I agree. This is another one where, you know, early on in that bull betting process, I, I liked North Carolina. I thought this was a game where North Carolina had a very good chance, especially with that high scoring expectation and what we know of their offense. But with the opt-outs, as you sort of go through the handicapping process here, like you, it, it's, it's the Texas A&M side now for me, where A&M, They've dominated the line of scrimmage in a lot of their games so far this season. And North Carolina, it, it's tougher for them to do that, I think, in a lot of ways. You know, I think maybe we found with Miami, certainly with how they played in, in uh, that bowl game against Oklahoma State, maybe Miami's defense is just awful. I mean, they're yeah. just not a good unit. And North Carolina putting up 770 yards or whatever they did on Miami in that regular season finale – Maybe that says more about Miami. You know, you put up a historic performance like that. It says a lot about both teams, but AM's defense is a lot better. AM's offensive line probably rules the day here in this game. Do you look under? I mean, is, is oh, yeah. possible yep. here with the opt outs? Yeah, I'm on AM and I'm, I think you know, real sharp is the under. And I've already bet the under uh, multiple times. And I think at 65 and a half, you're still good. Again, I think I am expecting something like the Notre Dame, North Carolina game. That's my expectation right now going into it. And obviously that was 31, 17, do the math. Yeah, no, that's, that's an excellent point there. So uh, we hit on all eight of the January 1st and January 2nd bowl games here. And uh, I guess it's time to transition over to the NFL side of things with week 17, where, you know, as you and I were talking about before the show, so many moving parts. I mean, you know, in some of the important games, we do have some COVID considerations. The Falcons with a positive COVID test today. Uh, that line's just been steadily going up throughout the course of the week with Tampa Bay as high as a seven-point favorite out there and maybe even some seven-and-a-halves coming down the line. But in terms of betting these games before they kick off, it's kind of tough to sort of put everything into different boxes and decide which one you, know, you want to wait the most. Yeah, I mean, are you kidding me? Uh, 
week 17 generally speaking is obviously a completely different week as far as betting than any other week in the nfl uh and then you add the covid situation on top of it 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 almost becomes you know dare i say unbettable uh, you know pre-flop and the nfl another thing that they've done a really good job over the last five six years is you know you used to be able to you know, search and find some correlated parlays. Well, if this team wins, then that, you know, in this one o'clock window, then this team in the four o'clock window, the game's not going to matter. And you can use some correlated parlays. Uh, then the NFL that doesn't a lot of times give you those opportunities anymore. Anybody that that's dependent on another team, win or lose, they're usually playing at the same exact time. So, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is if you're going all in on a bunch of pre-flop bets, in week 17 of this year's NFL, I tip my cap to you. I I, I don't have the, the guts or, or the intestinal fortitude to do it. Well, and of course, too, you know, information trickles in throughout the week. Of yeah, absolutely. Who's going to play, who's not, you know, all that kind of thing. And you start wondering about, you know, will teams show up? And it's such an interesting discussion to have because you could have sat there for the longest time and looked at the Jets and said, okay, well, you know, Adam Gase is a dead man walking. You know, it's in the organization's best interest to get Trevor Lawrence. They're not really going to show up. Well, now they've won two games in a row. And you look at Cincinnati. No more Joe Burrow. You know, there was that big SI article about Zach Taylor and how he treats his players and yeah. Lou Anarumo and how he treats the defensive players and all that. And you sit there and think, okay, Cincinnati's probably done for the year. They've won two in a row. As <laughs> yeah. a touchdown or more dog in those two games. Jacksonville, they actually have seemingly mailed it in, getting blown out, happy to go ahead and get Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, we'll see what they do with Doug Marone. But, you know, when you when you talk about this tanking discussion or this kind of rolling over discussion, every year it gets, it's this narrative that gains steam and then it plays out completely different on the field. So I don't even know if there are any games here this week where I can sit there and definitively say, that one team's just not going to show up. And it feels like some of the games are being bet that way. Absolutely. Uh, And I always say in week 17, uh, whether it's 2020 or not, a lot of times you're paying premiums on teams with playoff need. And a lot of times, why does a team have playoff need? Uh, Especially if that, you know, they win, they're in, if they lose, they're out type of thing. Well, they're a mediocre team to begin with. I mean, and do you really want to pay a premium on a team with all that pressure, you know, to win? Do you want to do that? No, I'm completely opposite. I'd rather bet, you know, bet against the team that has nothing to lose. It does concern me, teams with nothing to play for. I mean, it's been a really tough year, uh, and and maybe it just doesn't matter uh, for them, but. I just, you know, it, it, it's tough. It's tougher for me this year who's going to show up and who isn't than, than a lot of years. A lot of times I get context clues. I think you got a context clue with Kansas City. I mean, obviously Mahomes not starting. I'm, I'm not sure that the Chiefs are going to necessarily show up. And the fact that the Chargers lay more than a field goal pr- pretty much tells you all you need to know on that one. But yeah, I am certainly more hesitant than, than what I normally am, even in week 17 when I'm already hesitant to begin with. You know, when we talk about motivation for the bowl season, for example, I think it's a little bit more projectable for kids that are, you know, 18 to 23 years old that, you know, let's say that, you know, if they're going to the NFL, they're going to opt out. But, you know, it's easier to sort of project, okay, maybe they're just kind of done with this. Yeah. These guys are playing for money. 
They're playing yeah. for stats. They're playing for round numbers. They're playing for, you know, not only playing time for future contracts, but, you know, they're playing for trying to make a name for themselves. You know, it's just a different kind of animal here where, you know, and look, I've heard both sides of the coin with J.J. Watts rant last week. I've heard, oh, look at him throwing, you know, his teammates under the bus to get more spotlight for himself. I've also heard, oh, look at J.J. Watt, you know, being a leader, being a guy that, you know, people on that team should look up to. I've heard both sides of that. But, you know, I've also heard it from, oh, man, who was? I want to say it was uh, Jason Kelsey with Philadelphia, you know, talking about, look, I mean, you know, we're professional athletes. We're supposed to go out there and play hard every time. And you'll even hear NFL guys say, look, I have to play hard because I'm going to get hurt if I let my guard down. Yep. You know, there's so much that goes into this to the point where, honestly, to me, if you look at week 17 and you say that anything looks like an easy winner, you're full of shit. Because, yeah, you can sit there and say before the game that you, know, you think this, 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 and this are going to happen because one team's not going to show up. I don't think that's going to be true of really any game. And I think if one team outright quits, it would surprise me. It, it really, truly would. Yeah, and I, you're looking if if they were going to quit, they'd probably do it prior to week 17. I mean, there's one team that I thought has kind of folded it and folded it in the last two three weeks, and they had motivation to do that. That would be Jacksonville, who's been blown blown out the the last three games of the season. But now that they've already clinched the number one pick, may, maybe they don't this week. Uh, so it, even in that regard, where you've had some context clues. Uh, maybe it's not going to happen. And maybe Houston, who, who kind of laid an egg, you know, w- w- they have too good a leadership there between Watt and also Deshaun Watson for me to say, okay, the, the, I mean, the season's over for Houston with an interim coach. It's already been very disappointing. Just lost to Cincinnati. You know, why not bet Tennessee who's got everything to play for? Again, uh, in, in that situation, I wasn't running the window to bet Tennessee. I, I Depending on where a lot of these numbers end up shaking out, I. I think it'll be a decent teaser week, especially if you're te- if you don't want to pay the premium on the teams that have playoff need, then why not line up a couple of teams and not pay that premium by, by putting them in a teaser? I guess that's the best advice I could give right now. You know, I look at a team like Houston and I can't see into the future, but I would suspect this is the last game ever that Romeo Cornell is the head coach. for. Oh yeah. And you know, th- does that matter to the Houston players who got a little bit of a bump when Cornell took over for Bill O'Brien? Cornell's been around that organization for a long time. The players like him. He was very well-liked in Cleveland. He just wasn't a very good head coach. Does Houston show up for him in that last game, along with, you know, the Watt narrative and, and all of that? I-, I think these are realistic things that we have to take a look at. You know, I think you have to take a look at Atlanta. Atlanta has played a hell of a lot better since Raheem Morris took over. Is Raheem Morris actually auditioning for that head coaching job? The players can read those situations and all of that. Maybe they show up in a big way for Raheem Morris here, where they already played well against Tampa Bay, at least for half, just a couple of weeks ago. I guess if there's one team, and I'm going to go ahead and contradict something I said a few minutes ago. I guess if there's one team that could complete no-show – they already did it last week. It would be the Detroit Lions. That, that's the only yeah. one I feel like would be at risk of doing that because everything is going to change for that organization now as we go forward. But, you know, even even in games where... where but do you want to bet Minnesota, a team that's, you know, comes in with the longest ATS losing streak in the NFL? I mean, they failed to cover six in a row, man. 
when are they going to show up? Right. No, I agree. And, and, you know, another situation for them where they won't have Delvin cook because his father passed away. And, you know, I mean, is, is that just something where, you know, they kind of look in and, and Mike Zimmer last week, Oh, this is the worst defense I've ever had. You know, there, there's a lot yeah. going on with that team too, to the point where I would be concerned, you know, to lay that big of a number, but you think about these teams that are going to be sitting guys or may sit guys in the second half, you know, does Aaron Rodgers play the entire game for Green Bay going for the number one seed? Do they put him at risk? I think that's a fair question. Obviously, we know Kansas City is not going to be playing some of their key guys. Maybe Kelsey plays for a little bit to try and get him, you know, some accolades, be the leading receiver, all that kind of thing. You know, Buffalo, does anybody play for Buffalo for any length of time? That's the thing, too, is you kind of wonder how these coaches will play this within the game and how long guys will play into the second half. But at the same time, the guys coming in off the bench, who's more motivated than they are, you know? And I talked about this on Tuesday with Brian blessing of the best job in the NFL is the backup quarterback. And you've got backup quarterbacks that get a look here in week 17. Shit. look Look at the money chase Daniel makes to be a backup quarterback from, you know, being able to play in these garbage time games or in the preseason, or whatever else. These guys aren't stupid, man. You're not a backup quarterback in the NFL because you're an idiot. When you get a chance to go out there and play, you try your best to put up some numbers, so you get another backup quarterback gig somewhere else. I mean, yep. those guys are highly motivated to make their, you know, two, two and a half million dollars a year. Couldn't have said it, uh, said it better. Uh, guys playing for contracts. I mean, you could make a case. I mean, they're more motivated than the starters. Not as good talent-wise as the starters. But uh, I, I guess as we're moving more and more towards in-game being where, where the, you know, the, the value is in this whole entire industry, especially if you're comparing that to betting on game day pre-flop when you could have gotten in many instances better numbers earlier in the week. I we there isn't a better week as far as in game as far as I'm concerned than week 17. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and you know it doesn't help as far as a podcast goes. You taping a, a few days ahead of time, but I mean, if you're asking me a future of not only the betting industry, but you know, t- talking about this industry, I mean, betcast uh, doing podcasts live as this stuff's happening. I mean, is the future where this thing's going. And I mean, I think you could make the argument that in some respects, it's kind of irresponsible to be one of those shows that's just sitting there rattling off all kinds of picks for week 17, because again, you know, we still have ample time before these games go off, not even just from a COVID standpoint, but for these coaches to decide, you know what, like this guy tweaked a hamstring in in practice throughout the week. I'm not going to use him in week 17, you know, a, a lineman maybe tweaks a knee. I'm not going to use him in week 17. We got to play next week in the playoffs. You know, there's yep. a lot of stuff that could happen over the next few days. So I think any show that's just rattling off week 17 picks, I think it's pretty irresponsible because we don't have all of the information that's out there. And there are a lot of things in play in week 17 that aren't in play for other weeks of the season. Guys will play hurt in other weeks. Guys may not play hurt in week 17, whether it's from a free agency standpoint or a playoff standpoint. You know, so there's still a lot of moving parts here to go throughout the rest of this NFL week. There are a couple of games I want to ask you about specifically, though, here that we can dive a little bit deeper into. Green Bay, Chicago being one of them. You know, I mean, this is one where you've got Green Bay anywhere from five to six, depending on where you look out there in the market as a road favorite at Chicago. Total 51 with the Bears offense looking a lot better here over the last couple of weeks. 
The buy is important, I think, for Green Bay. The ability to play at home at Lambeau Field is important. I think there is incentive for Matt LaFleur to go out there and try to win this football game. You've got a Chicago team, as you mentioned, one of those teams in that must-win spot because, frankly, they're not very good. I mean, they're an above-average team, it would seem, now that Trubisky's playing better, but they're not a great team. This isn't like the AFC where you got, you know, five teams at 10 and 5 vying yeah. for playoff spots. What, what do you think – what's sort of your mindset with that Green Bay-Chicago game? I'm leaning towards Chicago. I think it's more priced into the fact that Green Bay is going for the number one seed that, than it is, you know, Chicago absolutely needs to win to get in the playoffs. Although, I mean, and obviously the Arizona game as well is going to play a big part of Chicago making it or not. Uh, but but then again, you know, and maybe it doesn't matter, but if there there's one team that's had – uh, another team's number in the NFL last 25 years would be Green Bay over Chicago. I mean, look, the series history is so overwhelmingly dominant. It's, you know, the only other one I can think of is Pittsburgh over Cleveland. And the the, the talent disparity isn't as great as, you know, the, what it is with, with Green Bay and Chicago, particularly in important games. We've seen it. Uh, Another one, it's I, I'm a ham sandwich, Green Bay, or Chicago pre-flop. But, again, I want to see, you know, I think there's a possibility Aaron Rodgers only plays a half here. Uh, and I, I'll tell you this, Aaron Rodgers is a guy that sometimes leans on his mobility, at least to get outside the pocket make some throws. You really want him getting outside the pocket uh, and running around a little bit in this game? I don't. So, uh, for that reason, because Chicago's playing their best ball of the season, I, I lean with the Bears. But, again, it's it's not going to be a big pre-flop bet for me. Well, and, again, that's the tough part. Like I said, I mean, there is incentive to be at home. There is incentive to get that buy. Is that incentive worth putting your star quarterback at risk where if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, it doesn't matter what seed you are. It doesn't matter where you're playing. You are up shit creek because your star quarterback is not playing. So, you know, that's the question that Matt LaFleur kind of has to weigh in his mind. And Green Bay's been a very good first half team. If they get ahead big, let's say they're up 14 at halftime, something like that. Maybe Rodgers starts the third quarter. Maybe doesn't play the whole second half. Maybe the Bears get in the back door, something like that. You know, these are all considerations here in week 17. Here's a game where we don't have those same considerations because both teams have large incentive to win the football game. Dallas and the Giants, Dallas minus two on the road at the Meadowlands, 44 and a half, the prevailing number for this one. So you've got two teams here that do have to win. They need help on Sunday night football from Philadelphia, but they have to win to put themselves in that position. It's about as close as we have to a pure handicap this weekend. Yeah, and I, I'm going to go with the Giants. Uh, I know offensively they've left a lot to be desired here recently. And you know, I know Dallas is playing their best ball this season with three straight wins and covers, and they just blew out the Eagles. But I, this is one where I'm not going to question the motivation. I think both teams want to win. Uh, look at line was the Giants three and a half, and, and I get they lost the Ravens, and, and you got to downgrade their power rating a little for that one and upgrade Dallas and maybe a little bit more than a little considering what they did to Philly. But uh, enough for where it's a five-point swing? No. So, uh, you know, I'm on the Giants. This is such an interesting one because we've talked about this a lot, that it's an offense first game in the NFL, obviously. And Dallas clearly has the better one. And the Giants clearly have the better defense. And you sort of wonder here, we've always talked about this with, you know, on the hockey front with with, uh, Brian Blessing. We've talked about this on other podcasts across, you know, different sports. 
that the more the game matters, the more things tighten up. So generally speaking for me, over the course of an NFL season, I'm going to inherently favor the offensive team. In a spot like this, though, where the stakes are exceptionally high, you sort of wonder if you kind of have to flip that a little bit and maybe focus more on the better defensive team with a tight game expected, obviously a lower scoring expectation with this total coming down. You know, it's just sort of a a mindset type of thing where, you know, based on the stakes of the game, you can kind of uh, contort the way that you want to look at it a little bit differently. Yeah, and to me, it comes down to, again, a a well-below-average Dallas team in a must-win situation, all-important game. You want to lay points on the road against the division rival. I don't. So, I mean, that's another reason. I'll tell you, if you're looking for teasers, obviously now that the numbers come down a little bit than where it was, you know, 24 hours ago, uh, Giants, to me, in what, you know, their games have been very low scoring as of late, six straight unders for them. I don't think it's a very high variance game with a relatively low total, at least comparatively speaking to what we've seen in totals in 2020 in the NFL. I mean, teasing the Giants seven and a half, eight through key numbers of three to seven sounds good to me. Obviously a throwaway game that nobody really cares about too much here this week, but the Jets and the Patriots, Patriots minus three total down to 39 and a half for this one. Bill Belichick was kind of a boiling point last week. We've all seen the, you know, the clip of him, smashing the phone and, and, you know, just sort of, he's always been kind of abrasive, uh, you know, in his press conferences and all of that, but everything's taking on, taking on kind of a different tone here, uh, you know, as things are kind of falling apart there in new England, as they're maybe looking at a pretty large scale rebuild, the jets last two weeks, couple of wins could have beaten the Raiders a few weeks ago. As we know, they're kind of playing free and easy, even though they know Adam Gase, uh, you know, almost assuredly gone here at the end of the year new england's laying three though in this one where these two teams at least the last couple of weeks going in opposite directions uh, you know again this is a game that people really aren't going to have their energies focused on but does that mean there's an edge to be had uh no not for me though and maybe someone can find an edge that's a little bit smarter than me when it comes to the nfl but i really don't see one i mean again i go back to my fundamental basics of a handicapping the nfl look at live was new england 10 so, I mean, the fact that the two, you know, teams are going in opposite directions, that's priced into the number here, and then some as far as I'm concerned. But uh, I think the value to be had is probably the under uh, early on in the week, but I'm not going to run to the window now, but under 39.5 in an NFL game where there might be questionable motivation. Uh, it's a game I, I won't be involved in. Yeah, I was just curious because, again, I mean, it's not a game that too many shows are going to talk about. No, that, fair enough. Nothing going on with it, but – you know, I, 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 part of me wants to take New England here, just sort of feeling like, you know, a guy like Belichick's going to want to find some silver lining out of this season. But, you know, again, with how they've looked here of late and the fact that the Jets, as we talked about already in the open of this segment, you know, they, they're still invested. They're still engaged against all odds. So, you know, I, I don't know if it's a play. I can't Much to their fans' uh, delight, so yes. to say. Yeah. I'm sure that that's gone over so well that they haven't given up on the season and they rallied to win the last two weeks. I mean, that is just so good for the Jets. Well, and, and that's the thing too, you know, the, the counterpoint to that with Belichick is that the guy is obviously a brilliant football mind and a genius. I mean, there's no incentive to win this game. You're, you're better uh, off trying to move up a couple of draft spots if you can yeah. with all the needs. Yeah, take advantage have. of the rare opportunity you're going to draft high for, for a change. Right. So, you know, that's always a consideration too, I guess. 
Seattle and San Francisco. Seattle's laying six, total 46 in this one. And I got to say, I mean, I, this one is almost priced as if San Francisco is going to roll over, but I thought CJ Beathard looked pretty good last week. He, he obviously looks to be, you know, maybe a better option than Nick Mullins. I think Kyle Shanahan's a very good head coach. I, I don't think this one's as easy as the line implies for the Seahawks here. No, I, I agree with that. 49ers aren't a franchise that to me is going to roll over. And, you know, a lot of their bad performances down the stretch of the season were, were basically tur- turnovers were the issue. Certainly were against Washington and Dallas. And they finally put it together and had a good performance at Arizona last week. Uh, you know, I again, you know, Seattle's in the mix to get the one seed. But, you know, they, they need help. They need Green Bay to lose. And, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not running Russell. I can tell you one thing. I'm, I'm telling Russell Wilson – to not be running around the game doesn't mean that much where, where I need him running around getting extra yards. I mean, just, uh, you know, I think of vanilla type of performance there. So yeah, I think the only way I could go in this game is San Francisco. Do you want to, and a lot of these teams that, Oh, I don't know if they're going to play in the second half or whatnot, th- then get derivative, bet these teams in the first half, some of these teams like a green Bay or Seattle or a new Orleans where there might be questionable motivation as the game plays on, you know, take advantage of betting these teams. I'd much rather bet them in the first half than full game. No, no, I agree. And, and San Francisco, I mean, they're not a team that really needs to worry too much about their draft positioning. I mean, they're run in such an intelligent way. Kyle yep. Shanahan is such a great head coach, a brilliant mind in so many ways they're not worried about going six and 10 instead of seven and nine. You know, I, I think they would almost rather want to win this game sort of to take something out of you know what has been a challenging season, largely because of injuries and COVID. I mean, this is not a bad football team at all whatsoever. They just got dealt a lot of bad hands this year, losing Garoppolo Mullins played bad. They had games where they had virtually no skill position guys, all that. I think they'd be happy to finish the season with yep. a couple of division wins. So I think San Francisco plays very hard this week. Uh, they'll probably be one of my five circuit plays here. One other game I want to ask you about real quick, uh, just because the, the line move uh, is, is sort of raising my eyebrows here. The Raiders and the Broncos, where the Broncos were, you know, pretty much a one-point favorite across the market early in the week, very early in the betting process. Now the Raiders minus two and a half. And I just haven't seen anything out of Las Vegas that would suggest to me they're worth investing in. Uh, can you make more sense of the line move than I can? No, no, I can't. I'm going to have to dive in and see injury situation because uh, right now, I, you know, I, I want to bet Denver. Um, I mean, Vegas' season's over. I mean, and especially the way they've lost the last few weeks. Uh, I, I just, to me, I'm stunned that Denver's not at least laying one point here. Uh, so um, I'm going to have to dive in deeper to this one. Uh, it worries me because, I mean, I – I'm not the, you know, a lot of times I understand what, why I, pretty much everything's happening for the most part in college football. This one, I just, I, I can't fathom why, you know, it looks like Vegas wants to go. I mean, the market wants to go to three in this game. I, I just, uh, I don't see it. No, I don't see it either. Lots of great stuff on today's show with Brad powers, professional better and handicapper from Brad sports.com. And Brad, what's happening over at the website right now, buddy. Yeah, I talk about it each week. It's my newsletter, and 69 bucks is the price, not only for the rest of this season, but all of next season. It's NFL. It's college football. You get write-ups on every single football game. Uh, you get sent to you weekly during the season, monthly during the offseason. I'm having my best college football season ever in the newsletter. 
but I'm also not afraid to admit losers. I'm having my worst NFL season after five straight winning years. So we'll try to get that NFL season turned around in 2021. We'll try to keep the momentum going as far as college football. But as I always say, don't buy for the picks, buy for the information. Again, write-ups, power ratings, you name it. Uh, one of the, I think it's one of the better value bets in the industry. And that's just not me, you know, talking because it's mine. Uh, I'm just talking, it's cheap. You don't have to be a big time better. To, and if you want to take a look at, you know, from a Vegas perspective on a lot of these games, check it out, go to bradpowersports.com. And of course, as always, make sure you follow Brad on Twitter at Brad powers and the number seven, Brad, appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Happy new year to you and yours, bud. And we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Happy new year to you. There you go. There's professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com at Brad Powers and the number seven on Twitter. Coming up on Friday, my week 17 picks for the Circus Sports Million, uh, limping to the finish here, 44-35 and one on the season, uh, just two and three each of the last three weeks. Hopefully can finish on a positive note here for the year. Uh, but thank you so much to everybody for listening and checking out all the content throughout this year over at ATS.io and also my work over at bangthebook.com. Greatly appreciate that. Stay safe tonight, everybody. Happy New Year to you and yours. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.